generating around 50K. And mm -hmm. at that point, I was super comfortable being like, okay, not only could I do this, did I do it? I could rinse, wash, and repeat this because I've kind of cracked the code on how to generate an income online. And so at that point, I really, truly like cut everything off and quit everything and moved to the home. But I actually created a lifeline first that required not sleeping very much for about six months and working 18 to 20 hour days every day. But that was how I kind of cut myself free. You're listening to Hawk Talk, a podcast all about the origin stories of the most interesting people in the world. Today, you know our guests as famous athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs, but there's so much more to this story. Let's get into today's interview with your host, Eric Huberman. I'm here with Ben Greenfield. How are you? I'm pretty good, except I'm jealous. I don't have a podcast that rhymes with my last name, dude. That's pretty good. Hawk talk. <laughs> yeah, got to do it. No, it's great to have you on, man. It's been a long time coming. So to kick it off, I got to assume like you're born, you get into the delivery room and you immediately start working out, figuring out some biohacking <laughs> techniques like from birth. That's how started, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep, you got it. Let's go ahead and go have some lunch now. Yeah, um, exactly. No, def definitely not. Like, my, well, I mean, like my parents, I guess, were not like the unhealthy slobs on the face of the planet but i didn't really grow up in a family that was that interested in health or nutrition or right. fitness or anything like that like i played a few sports here and there you know i was homeschooled uh -huh. um where were they, you from where, where did it start oh uh north idaho i was born in okay. a little town called Lewiston, idaho which is where i grew up you know most of my life so i was like 16 years old yeah. so you know like a little hick of course now i'm gonna beat up by all the rednecks who live in Lewiston. little hick factory town um and uh you know, a lot, a lot of fishing, a lot of hunting. It's kind of funny though, because like my parents were like city slickers. Like my mom was from Detroit, and my dad was from Miami. So I wasn't yeah. even like like an outdoorsman. Like as far as like hunting and fishing, I picked all that up later on in life. Um, really, huh. like my parents were like my dad was a serial entrepreneur. Even for the for the first ten years or so of my life, he was just a firefighter and paramedic. My mom was a stay at home mom and a, like, a hairstylist, and um. So my family's more like super into like, you know, like tech and computers. And, yeah. you know, my dad had a head, like one of his first gigs was as a tele telecommunications company owner. And, and so we had the giant cell phone the size of a brick in your car. And, you know, I had a pager by the time I was 13. And, yeah. and, um, and actually, so, so by the nature of being homeschooled K through 12, I actually had a really like intellectual upbringing in terms of like being a real bookworm, right? Like I was president of the chess club and, played violin and and you know i basically wrote and read fantasy fiction like 80 percent of my life and you know didn't didn't know how to talk to girls uh but was you know pr pretty smart and and uh rocked all the standardized tests we homeschoolers had to take every yeah. year uh and and so yeah i dabbled a little bit in sports like i was saying but i really do did not get that interested in the whole like human body optimization you know a lot of the stuff i do now as far as like biohacking and performance yep. and things along those lines until um my parents put me in a tennis lessons they put me okay. in tennis lessons because they're always i'm kind of like this with my kids you like and this is a great parenting tip right just like throw a bunch of noodles at the wall and see what sticks like yeah. expose your kid to a ton of different activities and you'll find eventually there's going to be like usually two or three that like really resonate and they're like begging to yeah. go back. And then half of them, they're just like, yeah, that, that was dumb. Mom and dad, why'd you make me do that? <laughs> why, why are you living vicariously through me? Yeah. So anyways, tennis, I was like, yeah. And, and like, I, you know, I had a crush on the tennis instructor, which probably helped a little helped. bit. I thought yeah. she was hot and I wanted to impress her. And, and, and so I started, uh, 
So I'm playing a lot of tennis. Like this is what started when I was about 13 years old. And I mean, being homeschooled, I could finish school by like 10, 30, 11 a.m. and just have the rest of the day to chill. So I played a lot of tennis. I'd meet my friends at the tennis courts. I eventually convinced my parents to like build this cheap-ass asphalt tennis court at our at our house. I was 13, 14 years old. Cool. Yeah, and I like I painted the lines and we built like this cool little asphalt tennis court. And I just go out there and play. I started running the hills you know, behind my house. Cause we kind of lived out in the country and yep. I, uh, I went to the sporting store and I bought my first set of 10 pound dumbbells and I had no clue how to use them. I just like, kind of like lay on the edge of my bed and, and, and like lift them almost like a preacher curl. And I remember I bought like a, as seen on TV ab training device. Cause I knew like having a strong core was good for tennis. So I bought that <laughs> thing. And I would like, just like stand in my room right. at night and, and do like these ab exercises. And, uh, you know, eventually, um, I, I met some people who were my parents' friends who taught me a bunch. Like one of my dad's buddies was the Washington State powerlifting champion. And one of my wow. little brother's best friend's dad was a bodybuilder. And these guys started to teach me stuff. And I just, I soaked it all up. Like I just loved this whole physical culture thing. And, and gradually began to set aside my dreams of being like a computer programmer or a fantasy fiction author warcraft video game designer like those are the kind of things that i thought i'd want to do growing up yeah. i decided instead i wanted to study you know sports science and exercise science so i walked onto the local college tennis team started playing tennis and i started just uh so soaking everything up when it comes to uh to human optimization you know anatomy and physiology and biochemistry and microbiology yeah. and organic chem. just started doing everything you know went from not having any interest at all in like math science stem etc to just like being hardcore into that stuff and um, I actually, like two years into college, I decided I wanted to actually go into sports medicine and not just stop at like exercise science, but, but pursue a degree in medicine. So I wound up, uh, you know, d just shadowing at hospitals for four years, doing a ton in physical therapy, you know, got accepted to seven different medical schools. And then, uh, and then I basically worked for a year in the private sector before deciding which uh which medical school I wanted to head off to and and I worked a gig in hip and knee surgical sales and just totally lost my taste for like wanting to be a doctor I just like a lot of the doctors seemed unhappy and and they seemed just overloaded with paperwork and none of them were enjoying their jobs and all I wanted to do was go like train people at the gym and write out diets and workouts like I'd been doing during college to pay for college and so I uh you know after a short stint in hip and knee surgical sales I, I dropped my desire to be a doctor dropped my desire to go to medical school walked into the gym across the street from the little apartment I was living in and slapped down my resume uh which at that point was pretty good just because I'd studied so much in college and worked you know all during college moonlit as a personal trainer and as a nutritionist and you know had degrees up the wazoo for all this stuff and so uh so yeah, they hired me as a fitness manager and um I just took off you know kind of a little pocket of a Washington state with a lot of like wealthy clientele people you know a lot of I guess a lot of rich wives of like pharmaceutical salesmen who wanted to, you know, who were 40 years old and wanted to look good in bikinis like they did when they were 18. And so yep. I basically spent half my, half my day, uh, you know, tra training, uh, Stepford wives. And, uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I did pretty well. I mean, like within a couple of years I was pulling in, you know, six figures easy as a personal trainer. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, it was kind of like the most popular guy in town, you know, for, for training and, I eventually wound up partnering with a physician and opening up sports medicine clinic where 
he did all sports medicine. I did all like the exercise and sports performance. And that was yep. called Champion Sports Medicine. We ran it together for like, oh, four or five years. When, when did that happen? When, about when the did, time that. When did you open um, that? That would have been from about 2005 to 2010. It was interesting because, like, you know, I, I made it for myself, partnered with a lot of doctors in the local medical community. And because of my background, like technology and uh, medicine, we did a lot of kind of like early day, you know, biohacking with these, you know, self-quantification, blood and work, you know, high-speed video cameras, uh, yeah. you know, bulk analyses, like a lot of the stuff that dictated that, you know, we were kind of like the people to go to when nothing else was working for your fitness or your recovery or your, or your bulk composition or, or whatever. And so what happened was two things at that point um, after running this facility, this doc for a few years. One, I got voted as America's top personal trainer after being nominated wow. by all these doctors. And so that kind of thrust me into the limelight of a lot of these fitness conferences and like fitness magazines and, yeah. you know, fitness business type of folks reaching out to me, asking me for advice or asking me to come speak or asking me to be on their show or asking me to do a magazine feature. So I started to kind of, um, I guess, like uh, have this... <laughs> side gig which turned into almost like a full-time gig of traveling to speak and and to yeah. go to these conferences and that was like a whole new thing for me and then at the same time as that was occurring my wife became pregnant with with twins and so i knew i was going to be a dad and i'm looking at my schedule and i'm like dude i'm like working at the gym from you know 4 a.m until noon and taking a break and go back to the gym to work more from like you know 3 p.m till yeah. 10 p.m and and then you know traveling and I was also racing, you know, professionally in triathlon. And so I was like, dude, there's no way I can sustain all this. So I thought, well, what would it look like if I was just going to reinvent all of this and move into the house and start to work from home so I could be with my kids and homeschool them and, and be with my wife yeah. more and be more of a family man. So I basically like sold out of all my studios and gyms and equipment, moved my clients onto other trainers in the community, moved into a home office and started doing frankly a lot of what i do now like i started a podcast back when there were maybe like 20 podcasts and an apple <laughs> podcast and, and i uh, i wrote a little like ebook uh eventually got it into more book writing and publishing i started mm -hmm. doing a lot more like online coaching and consulting some investing in health and fitness companies still kept speaking and just kind of like reinvented my lifestyle to be able to operate from the home front and that's that's yep. still what i do these days but that's kind of what got me to where i am right now and so when you kicked off like i mean that seems like a big jump your income's coming from all these gyms and this training and you were willing to just pass it off and walk away from it like was there any financial pressure or sort of anxiety around that or it was just like nah, I'll well, be fine. no i mean i'm glad you asked that question because i'm a total prepper i'm not the kind of guy who's gonna like yeah. you know walk off a cliff without a without a, a harness and a rope and so what i really did was you know i, I say that i sold out all the studios and the gyms but while i was still running all those and generating income from those i would get home from the gym and I would be up until about 2 or 3 a.m. Uh, you know, I, I programmed all my own websites. I wrote PHP scripts for doing things like drop shipping supplements. I, you know, I coded my own newsletters. I built out my own affiliate campaigns and generated all my own information products with a little bit of help from my wife, who was a graphic designer who kind of would package stuff up and make it look good. And so the first information product that I launched 
it was like a triathlon training product. You know, I mm-hmm. spent about six months on it, just moonlighting like that, like sleeping about three hours a night. And I launched that during like the Ironman triathlon world championships race week. That one was called um, triathlon dominator. And it was like one of those online packages uh, that you could get a whole bunch of you know, training materials and, and eBooks and CDs. And then I had a company in Texas called disc print a physical version of it. I sold the uh-huh. online version for $97. I sold the physical version for 197. I started a back-end membership community for those who want an ongoing training and I launched it. And again, this is at the same time I was still running all my studios and gyms. And within about six days of launching, we'd already pulled in about 50K of revenue, you know, at obviously pretty good margins yeah. considering it's mostly a, a digital product with a pretty big ROI just because the, the LTV of the customer, you know, who was going yeah. into the membership program was pretty big. Plus I had a bunch of affiliates who were doing, you know, like wetsuit affiliates, goggle affiliates, supplement affiliates, people who were affiliates for this program. So within about a week, I generated around 50K and- mm-hmm. At that point, I was super comfortable being like, okay, not only could I do this, did I do it? I could rinse, wash, and repeat this because I've kind of cracked the code on how to generate an income online. And so at that point, I really, truly like cut everything off and quit everything and moved to the home. But I actually created a lifeline first. And yeah, that required not sleeping very much for about six months and yep. and working, you know, 18 to 20 hour days every day. Uh, but you know, that, that, that was how I kind of cut myself free. No, I was going to say, I think that is so critical because so many people think it's like, you know, they're like, oh yeah, I quit my job because I had to go start a company. And it's like, you might need to do both to get things going. Like, not that that was your job. You had two different companies, but it yeah. was still like straddling is some, is something people really undervalue and under talk about where it's like, yeah, I got this going while I kept this going to support it until it actually could support me itself. Which yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know it's called straddling, but yeah. And I don't <laughs> want to be like the grumpy old man who points this out, you know, kids these days type of statement. But <laughs> like, I think a lot of people be like Instagram fame, social media influencer with nice abs who all of a sudden, you know, has a million followers and is pulling in an influencer income. And they think, oh God, like I just got to find the fast track. You know, I got my recording, you know, my recording contract by winning the voice or American Idol. And yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to make myself into a, world famous trainer or whatever by being famous on Instagram like that happens like 0.01% of the time most of the yep. time it takes blood sweat tears and hard work and many 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 hours i i don't think there's there's as many people now with that work mentality of basically not sleeping and working your butt off so that you can actually create the lifestyle that you want and that you dream about like it yep. takes it, it does take work I yep. won't lie. Yeah, no, I actually agree with you. I think people, it's become like a bad word to say, just work hard. Like it's, it's part of it though. And as someone that's interviewed, uh, you know, well over a hundred successful people at this point for this podcast, it's like everyone worked hard. That's, that's something that's just doesn't separate. You have to, to get these things done, to stand out, you've got to. And so you make the switch again, you're making 50 K a month. So it, it, it took off pretty quickly, but was there a point where you were like, wow, this has hit another level? Like I, like you felt like, you know, at this point I'll say it cause I know you won't, but you've kind of hit this celebrity status in that space. Like when did it become real that you're like, I've become an icon in this or has it ever hit that way? It didn't. And like, maybe I have imposter syndrome, but I still don't consider myself to be like, you know, I consider like, I don't know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger to be an icon in, sure. in sure. tennis or something like that. Like, like, you know, in the small, tiny niche of like, you know, biohacking or longevity, yep. anti-aging enthusiasts or whatever. Yeah. I kind of have a name, but, but really there, there wasn't ever. Yeah. I mean, 
it's kind of the same thing with fitness, right? There was never a time when I got fit. I just consistently did little things and still do every single day. You know, I work out about a half hour a day then I walk a lot and I stay physically active and play some tennis here and there. But I, I am a huge, huge advocate of consistency. I think consistency is one of the most underrated characteristics out there when it comes to success doing Agreed. small amounts every single day, 365 days a year. You know, people ask me, well, you know, how do, how do you get lean? I say, get up after you've fasted for 12 to 16 hours, do 20 to 30 minutes of cardio, and then finish that up with about two to five minutes of cold water immersion every day. Yep. And, people, yep. and people are like, okay, yeah, I hit that like four or five times this month. I'm like, no, every day. Every day. And, and, yeah. and again, I'm not going to toot my own horn. I, I, I maintain four to 6% body fat year round and every huh. single day. I get up in the morning, I do a short bout of fasting cardio, I follow it up with cold, and I have a 12 to 16 hour intermittent feeding window. And I don't just like do that a couple of days a week or on the weekends after I've drank a lot. That's just like every day. That's just one example. Yeah. You know, another example yeah. would be like, I'm, I'm known for writing big books, right? Like, you know, my last book was it, was, it was long. It was like 650 pages, which also indicates I'm probably kind of a shitty writer because I need to learn how to tighten up my copy. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, a book like that, you know, that doesn't just happen. I'm literally right. in my office 20 minutes every morning, 4.30 a.m., 20 minutes, no matter what, set the clock, get it done. If I get more, great, but 20 minutes minimum, 365 days a year, 20 minutes of writing, you can easily publish a book a year. Yeah, well, and that's the part that I think people miss. It's just that consistency and that incremental moving forward because you just said it it's the same thing with i've always noticed this about working out many times you go into the gym and you're not ready to just hit your max and be you're not super fired up and ready to go after it but if you're there every day you keep a baseline and then those days that you are going after it you're increasing you're improving yourself so it's just being consistent you just said it with the writing the book you might be willing to do more yeah. than 20 minutes but if you do 20 minutes every day you're still always moving the ball forward Right. And it works in reverse too. Like even with bad habits, like let's say like yep. alcohol, like I haven't been drunk in gosh, like 13 years, I think, but uh -huh. I drink almost every day. I have a glass of nice organic wine at the end of the day, uh -huh. almost every single day bar none, which is I'm drinking nearly every day of the year yet. I'm rarely if ever imbibing and having more than two drinks because I know that consistency and doing tiny, tiny, tiny amounts of the stuff that would kill me in large amounts allows me to kind of have my cake and eat it too. And yeah. so, yeah, I really, I, I try to be constantly aware of like that all or nothing approach and, yeah. and nip it in the bud wherever I can. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so going back to the sort of transition, so you transitioned, you watched this course at $97, $197, and then watched the podcast, et cetera. How was kind of the path from there? Like, was it just from there, your lifestyle is fine, you made money, you kept going? Or like, tell me about the journey from what sounds like it was like 2010 to now. Well, there's a lot of examples, but I would say the most notable ones that come to mind is, you know, as a triathlete, I used to get sponsored by a lot of companies, you know, let, let's say supplements, for example. And like I mentioned, you know, I, I did a lot of my own coding on, on my website. So I just like coded a PHP script that would allow people to arrive at my little triathlon training blog and triathlon coaching website, select what products they wanted, and then put them in their cart. Then that would shoot off a script to whoever, you know, the manufacturer was, 
and they would then fulfill and drop ship that order. And I did that for about like a year thinking I was oh so smart and then realized that wasn't very scalable and you know, was leaving a lot of margins on the table. So I instead contacted all these companies and began private labeling and white, like my first company was Greenfield Fitness Systems. So you could buy supplements and they see like Greenfield Fitness Systems on them. And I would literally just be like shipping those out from my, from my house, like from my garage. And then, yeah. you know, along with a lot of the books and stuff like that. And then, you know, after a few years of that, this would have been about 2000, gosh, when was it? About 2017 or so, I decided to just rebrand that whole enterprise and move all my manufacturing in-house, you know, do all our own raw ingredients and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and sourcing ourselves, do all our warehousing and shipping ourselves and all of our e-commerce. And I started a company called Keon, K-I-O-N. So Greenfield mm-hmm. Fitness Systems became Keon. Important for two reasons. I removed myself from the brand so it could exist outside yep. of whether or not people recognized me as an influencer. And then B, it created a scenario in which, you know, we we had a pretty large and rapidly growing supplements company that I could direct people to at, at pretty good margins. And so, yeah, the, the formation of Keon was, was one big, big step in the process. And, you know, we went from doing you know, around $100,000 at Greenfield Fitness Systems, where I think we just hit 25 mil at Keon. And so, you know, we're, we're basically, you know, growing in leaps and bounds with the supplements company. Another example would be book publishing. You know, I, I, uh, I uh, went in-house uh, from traditional to self-publishing two years ago. So I own the whole process, soup to nuts. I can change the books when I want. I have full control over the cover, the title, the design, you know, the speed of publishing, how many books per year, fulfillment, everything. So, you know, I, I own the book publishing process now. I own the supplement manufacturing process now. Those were, those were two big moves. And then I think probably if I, if I could name one other, it would be, uh, and this is important, of course, if, especially if you're a brand uh, or, or somebody has specialized knowledge, is I started a coach education program where, you know, I spent about a year creating a series of, of modules that train coaches and trainers and physicians on things like hormones and fat loss and digestion and sleep and performance and even things like the spiritual disciplines. And now coaches can go through, they can take that course, they become a certified coach. And so I have a team of almost 100 coaches now who I can direct clients who come to me for coaching to instead. And so I would say three big ones, we're starting the supplements company and then moving publishing in-house to self-publishing model on our own imprint and then developing a coaching program. No, it makes sense. And so a few more questions for you. One is you kind of, I don't know if you made a transition. I, you know, we've known each other a few years, but not that long, but you went from, it sounds like, like personal training, you know, human development, but you really got into this biohacking and like deep science, sort of the innovative science of that. When would, when did that really start coming into play? Like the most recent, like, I know you've done a lot with stem cells and things like this. Like how quickly did you get into like this sort of like cutting edge of your field? Yeah. Well, I mean, like I mentioned, I've always been kind of into that. Just, I think just being like yeah. kind of intellectual at heart and loving like the nerdy techie side of things. But I would say <laughs> it was kind of in the, in the peak and the heyday of my Ironman triathlon uh, career when uh-huh. I really started to get into like blood and biomarker evaluation, you know, the stuff yeah. that normally would have cost like, you know, tens of thousands of dollars at the Princeton Longevity Institute a couple decades ago, you can now kind of get in the comfort of your own home, pretty affordable and accessible rate. And so I started doing my own test and I realized, holy cow, I'm like pretty freaking fit and I can go crush an Ironman triathlon and look good in spandex or whatever. But I'm like, I'm super messed up on the inside. Like all my blood and biomarkers were showing, you know, like low testosterone and high cortisol and thyroid malfunction and, 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 you know, and gut issues and parasites. And so I realized then I'm like, oh wait, there's a lot more to optimize health than just like fitness and eating healthy, right. Or just like workouts yeah. and nutrition. 
And that yep. was when it was when I really started to to dig into things like, you know, environmental variables, air quality, water, electricity, light, biohacking modalities, sleep optimization, hormone optimization, you know, all these things that don't necessarily get talked about as much in like whatever men's health or women's health magazine, but that yep. I think move the dial even more than just like working out and eating, you know, broccoli yep. and rice and lean chicken. And so that, that was a big thing for me was really my own personal realization that there's a lot more to staying healthy than just food and exercise. Makes sense. And I heard a rumor. Do you not have Wi-Fi in your room or in your house? You avoid. Oh, we do. yeah. I, I pretty much avoid Wi-Fi at any given point I can. My whole house is is uh, set up with Cat Seven metal shielded Ethernet cable. So mm-hmm. you know, anytime you want to connect to the internet, you can just like connect your your computer, you know, hardwire it. But yeah, there's no actual Wi-Fi in our house for sure. Yeah. So what's the reason for that? Is it just that Wi-Fi is just screwing with your biology at the, while it's floating around, kind of thing? Well. Specifically for that particular signal, yeah. there's two things to be concerned about. The radiative effect on DNA yeah. and yeah. the repeated demonstrations of DNA damage, specifically in neural tissue, which is where it concerns me, but systemically. Yeah. And so you get the DNA damage component. And then also there's a sharp influx of calcium into the cells when the cells are exposed to that particular Hertz frequency. And when you get yeah. a calcium influx into cells, the cells are supposed to have like a negative charge on the inside and a uh-huh. positive charge on the outside. So they don't depolarize properly. So you set up this scenario where, you know, if you think of your body as a battery, every time you're around a Wi-Fi router, you're like draining the battery super duper duper quickly. Um, And, you know, and so the way that you fix that is you limit your exposure and then you do things like get sunlight, go outside barefoot, you know, use a lot of like the the dirty electricity filters and, you know, the kind of stuff I've I've talked about on my website. But yeah, there's enough evidence to show that Wi-Fi is bad news bears for human biology that I avoid it when I can. And what's funny is when I do travel, like you and I were just at an event and obviously when you're at hotels and airports, you really have a little less control over the proximity to the Wi-Fi router, the number of signals you're exposed to. And man, it's a night and day difference. When I'm at home, it feels yeah. like I'm in like this peaceful cave and, yeah. you know, there, there's none of the brain fog or the sleep disruption or anything like that. I think, you know, yeah. human beings these days, many of us who are living in a post-industrial era don't even really know what it feels like to truly be disconnected. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It's it's, it's something, no, I mean, I remember I disconnected for our honeymoon and then I got a text that was like, hey, we need you to transfer money from one account to another. But I always have this picture of like the one time in years that I tried to disconnect, I was wiring money on a laptop in the middle of the Maasai Mara, like, you know, marshes up against a river in a tent. And so, yeah, we're in a world now that just expects constant connectivity. It's interesting. But yeah, so the last couple of questions I have for you. Number one, what's next? What's What's on the horizon? What are you excited about coming down the pike? Oh, gosh. You know, I'm a pretty simple creature, Eric. Like, I love to just find cool information and disseminate it on as many platforms as I can. And so, you know, what I get most excited about when I wake up in the morning these days is doing a podcast or writing an article or working on a book. Like, I'm like, you know, I'd die happy if I were just able to wake up in the morning and, you know, do an interview and work on a book a little bit and boom, that's that's it. Easy. I I love that. It feeds me. But I would say uh, as far as me, the next chapter in life is in addition to moving across the border to Idaho and kind of starting a little farm over on the Idaho side and probably spending a lot more time uh, just running a farm with my wife, I have really pivoted my brand towards a focus 
on family and legacy and parenting and education. And then also like faith and the spiritual disciplines I've rebranded from Ben Greenfield fitness into Ben Greenfield life. Cause uh-huh. I think there's, there's a lot more out there that's far more meaningful than just, you know, being fit or working out or eating healthy, you know, kind yeah. of similar to what I was talking about earlier. And so now I'm just really shifted towards things that I think are even more meaningful for the world and that the world needs more right now, specifically family and faith. Fair enough. And so the last question I got for you is for someone else that really wants to reach the top of their game, that wants to pursue being the Ben Greenfield of their space, what would be your one piece of advice to them that you don't think enough people talk about or that you either heard or didn't hear and wish you heard? What would be that one thing that you'd want to tell people as they're trying to make something of themselves, so to speak? You know, I don't know if this is uncommon advice because, you know, you do hear it, but I, you know, I'll just, I'll just say it because it's really one of the, one of the ways I live my life is, not very many good and productive things happen at night. Okay. Not uh-huh. very many good and productive things happen at night. We start to shut down the house around like eight 39. I'm typically in bed reading a book by nine 30. I'm typically up and at them around four, four 30. And mm-hmm. the freedom of time that it gives you the affluence of time when no one's blowing up your phone at four or four 30 or 5. AM, the amount mm-hmm. of productivity that you get being able to have 10 AM roll around and you've already finished, you know, more than, than, you know, most people finish in a day. I just think this whole idea of safely protecting your time, going to bed early, getting up early, it seems so simple, but I'm sure you've discovered this too. The the lion's share, and there are some exceptions, but the lion's share of successful folks go to bed early, get up early and crush the day. And, uh, And again, I, I do that consistently, you know, even on Fridays and Saturdays. So, so yeah, that's yep. what I would recommend is, is just remember more good things happen in the morning than in the evening. I agree with that. There's a good, I think it's Dave Chappelle talks about if you're at an ATM at 4am, you're not doing anything right. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Ben, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on Hawk Talk. Hey, thanks for having me on Hawk Talk. You've been listening to Hawk Talk. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars you think this podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.